Hello and welcome to another special edition of the Kings of Anglia Ipswich Town podcast. My name is Andy Warren and I'm back to bring you another chat that we have had with someone linked to the recent US back takeover at Ipswich Town. We've already had Frank Yallop, of course, the former Ipswich player who has worked as Phoenix Rising head coach under Town's new owners. We've spoken to the current Phoenix Rising head coach, Rick Schontz. That was a, that was an interesting chat about what Brett Johnson, Burke Bakai and Mark Detmer are like to work for. And we've spoken to Burke himself, which I'm sure most of you have probably listened to. What an exciting, passionate an interesting man he has been. This week we've got a chat with another American working in European football, but this guy, he might not be someone that you necessarily know. Stuart, and, Stuart Watson and I have uh, teamed up f- for this one to speak to Jordan Gardner, who has got fingers in pies. He's got money in Swansea. He's invested in Dundalk in Ireland, but most notably for us, he's also the chairman of SC Helsingor in Denmark, where... He's part of an investment group that also includes Brett Johnson. And the two of them are currently teaming up to work on a potential takeover in Australia of A-League Club Central Coast Mariners. So we've talked about all these issues here with with Jordan. He's at his home in San Francisco. We're obviously in Suffolk. I know which one of those I'd rather be in. Suffolk every single time. But it's an interesting chat with Jordan about Ipswich Town, American investment in European football. Brett and also... Just the project at Helsingor, really, which is another club that, that that now seems to have links to Ipswich Town. So uh, we'll chuck over to that chat. It's me and, me and Stuart Watson with Jordan Gardner. Okay, so Andy and Stu are here, and we've got with us today a football executive and an investor from the United States who has some really strong links to Ipswich Town's new owner. So we're really pleased to have with us today Jordan Gardner. Jordan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good man. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Where in the Where in the world are you right now? I am in San Francisco, California. I usually split my time between Europe and the U.S., but obviously with COVID and travel restrictions, it's been a little bit more difficult. Um, But I've been based in the U.S. for quite some time now. But with some very, very firm eyes on European football by the by the sounds of things and the look look down your kind of CV, that kind of thing. Stu and I, we're in um, we're in Suffolk. Uh, I'm in Ipswich. She's just a little bit outside and. uh, yeah, it's great great to talk to somebody else with another good connection to town's new owners, isn't it, Stu? Because um, it's, it's definitely an exciting time for the football club over here at the moment. Absolutely. Jordan, tell us a little bit about your, your connection to, to Brett and uh, the, the new owners of, of Ipswich Town, if you, if you could, please. Yeah, of course. Um, I've known Brett Johnson for about four or five years now. We met through American soccer circles with his club in Phoenix. Uh, We actually met at the very beginning when he was launching uh, what was originally called Arizona United and then turned into Phoenix Rising. Uh, I was working on a project in American soccer where one of the owners in our group had gone to college um, with Brett. And so they connected us. And, um, you know, we kind of hit it off. I was really interested in the project that, that they were working on. I've been down to a bunch of games in Phoenix. Uh, I'm not obviously directly involved with the club, but I follow it very closely. I got to know some of his other investors who are also involved with Ipswich Town, uh, Burke Bakai and Mark Detmer, also really great guys. So um, yeah, we've, we've stayed in touch over the last couple of years. When uh, I launched the project in Denmark to buy FC Helsinger, Brett uh, became involved and is a board member and was able to be uh, intimately involved in that project. So um, yeah, we, we work on a lot of things in the soccer space together. I think what he's doing with the group that he's put together for Ipswich is, is really exciting. I'm super excited for him. And um, yeah. Yeah, so, so just to quickly run down sort of your investments in in football, your, your chairman at Helsingor, Brett's on the 
Brett's on the board there, but you've also you're a co-owner at Dundalk in in Ireland, and you have some money in in Swansea in the Championship over here. So you've got quite a nice little portfolio going on there, and obviously Brett's got his got his as well with with Phoenix, and then the uh, the um, the Rhode Island project, and now Ipswich. So it's kind of spreading a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, I mean we we kind of have similar philosophies when it comes to investment in football, although a little bit different paths. Obviously he's taken the American soccer path with what they've done in Phoenix and they've had a ton of success. You know, he's working on Rhode Island, which is a really interesting project. Uh, my path has been a little bit more European focused. Um, my background is more entrepreneurial. So I find European football just really interesting in terms of coming in and you can get clubs promoted and there's a robust domestic player transfer market. There's all sorts of interesting things you can do. And so for me, instead of taking kind of launching a club from the ground up, like what Brett's guys did in Phoenix, I said, why don't I um, make some strategic small investments in European football through the networks that I had? And again, instead of coming in and buying a big club and may maybe making mistakes that other prior American ownership groups had, you know, whether it's the American group at Aston Villa or all the various American groups that have gone to Europe and had issues, um, I was able to, to spend a lot of time on the ground in Swansea when I made that investment uh, in 2018 when the club was in the Premier League. Fortunately, the club got relegated, but was able to kind of soak up a lot of the information in terms of how the club reacted, what did the club do well, what did the club not do well. Um, made an investment in Dundalk, which is a club that's been in the Europa League a couple times now. And really, I was on the board for a year and I rolled off. So those are very small investments. I'm not involved operationally at all in those clubs, but it's good to be involved in different clubs with different kind of strategies and business models. And then obviously two years ago was Denmark, and that's that's what I spend all my time on right now. So how did that come about? Why why Helsingor and why why Denmark and and why Brett? Yeah, so um, you know the thought process again going back to like didn't want to necessarily go in and buy a really big club and you know had a good understanding of what it took to be successful in European football, but felt like it was still important to go to a little bit smaller club. And I felt like Denmark was kind of this emerging footballing market. You know, you saw a lot of investors going to Belgium and Portugal and. Denmark was starting to get popular. You know, the national team's done quite well. There's a really robust player transfer market in Denmark. Um, and, you know, for us, it was like, look, everyone speaks English in the country. It's relatively easy to do business, you know, versus going to a place like Spain or Italy or France where there can be some serious cultural differences. So we said, look, like, let's buy a medium-sized club in Denmark. Let's do that. Let's run it really well and efficiently. And then we can scale upward and make bigger investments like what Brett's done. And so... When I put that group together, I called Brett and said, hey, um, I'm putting a group together to buy a club in Denmark. It's a really interesting club. It's close to Copenhagen, uh, has a new stadium opening. You know, Do you want to be involved? I know you're, you have bigger aspirations in global football, and he was really interested. And so you know, he came on board. He brought a couple of his partners involved, um, and he joined the board, and it's been two years. He's been super supportive. Obviously, he has a lot of other projects he's working on as well. Uh, Helsinger is my you know, full-time focus, where Brett is obviously working on other projects as well. Um, but it's really good, you know, for me bringing people into our board and our ownership group, it's really important that they have, you know, at least an understanding of the sport. You know, I, I think we can raise American capital, not to say it's easy, but we can raise capital from a lot of different places, but I wanted people that had a good understanding of European soccer and, you know, that I could pick up the phone and say, Hey, Brett, we're opening our new stadium in Denmark. What did you guys do in Phoenix that worked really well? How are you guys doing your ticketing and your sponsorship? Like what worked really well for you guys? How can we translate that to Denmark? And I thought that's where... Um, people who have a really vast experience in the sport like Brett can be really valuable to our project. And obviously that translates to what he's, what he's doing at Ipswich. Yeah. It's um, the, the takeover of Ipswich has been rumbling on from what we gather sort of a year, year and a half leading up to this point. Um, how much did you know about the uh, things going on during, during that period, Jordan, did, did Brett pick your brains on, on a few things? 
Yeah, we talked a little bit. I had heard some kind of rumblings. I, I knew COVID had kind of slowed things down in those discussions. And having gone through multiple of these takeovers, I knew how long it takes. I mean, I think people think that it's, it's a really easy process, but there's an incredible amount of due diligence that comes into play in terms of making sure everything checks out and then negotiations with the prior owner and all that kind of stuff. So we definitely had conversations. We had conversations about how things like Brexit affect the business model, how Ipswich ties into other projects, both in the US and in Europe. And so you know, I'm obviously not intimately involved in Ipswich, but we had some conversations, yeah. You must have liked what you've heard from from, from both the Ipswich side and from, from Brett's side. It's um it's a good club here, obviously with a big with a big big history. So for for an, an American group such as Brett and the and the three lions group with Burke and Mark to get involved, that must be quite an exciting thing to see as a kind of a fellow American investor in in the European game. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about the call, and I'm sure we'll talk about the Super League stuff a little bit later. But I mean, it's it's certainly frustrating to me when American groups come into European football and really don't have a good grounding in terms of understanding what it takes to be successful, because that makes those of us who presumably think, I hope that we know what we're doing, makes our jobs more difficult, right? Makes it you know difficult in terms of credibility when we're trying to do things or trying to buy other clubs or make difficult decisions. And so I think what's great about what Brett's group has done is like, you know, they have a really good understanding of what it takes, I think, to be successful. They've brought in already good people, local people that know British football. Um, I think they, you know, Brett is very much someone from my experience that is appreciative of the history of the clubs he's involved with. And I know he's he's dug into the history of Ipswich. It's a very history rich club. So I think they're going about things the right way. Obviously, the sport is challenging, right? I mean, in terms of getting a club like Ipswich back to where it probably should be in terms of the championship and hopefully someday the Premier League is going to be challenging. There's no doubt about it. But I think if anyone can get the club where it needs to go, it will definitely be this group. You mentioned you was involved with Swansea, Jordan. What what lessons have you learned from from your time in, involved with, with Swansea? I mean, Swansea, um, you know, for a period of years when they were in the Premier League had a really distinct style of play. You know, they're bringing uh, players in from Spain. They had a very... Um, a very good structure, I would say, in the way the club was run. And I think, not to say they got away from it over the last couple of years, but it's difficult to maintain that level, especially when there's so much money being spent in the Premier League. And so I think my learning curve from Swansea a bit was like just making sure that you have a really cohesive strategy, both on and off the pitch, in terms of building a culture at your club and building a culture on the pitch. Like what it doesn't matter to me what formations you play or what kind of coach you hire or what kind of sporting director. It's all about like what is that strategy and sticking to it. I think these clubs that change managers every three weeks and there's so much uncertainty off the pitch, it can really kind of uh, affect the on-field performance as well. Um, I also think Swansea has done a really good job on their academy. I think they've brought a lot of very, very good young players through and which they've sold. And obviously, um, you know, it's a big investment for the club to be, I believe they're a tier one academy. Um, but I, I think that's the challenge sometimes in the UK is there's so many clubs in so many tight geographic areas and you have the big clubs coming in and just scooping up all the best players. I'm sure to a certain extent this might happen at Ipswich. If you have your own distinct area where you can develop players, whether that's for your first team or to sell, that gives you a competitive advantage, especially now with Brexit, where you can't necessarily go into other continental European clubs and find talent like a Brentford might do. So um, I think those are the two areas that I would say. Obviously, it's been difficult. Hopefully, it looks like we'll be in the playoff this year and hopefully we can get back up. But it's it's tough. It, everyone is gunning for the same thing and trying to do the same thing and spending a lot of money. It's a very difficult um, place to be in. So what can you tell us about? I think we're about to ask this. We're about to ask the same thing. I see. I think Stu, we're about to ask about Helsingor and everything. How that's going over there? 
No, things are great. I mean, it was it was a challenging project to to kind of launch from scratch. You know, the club had been in the Danish Superliga and then had gotten relegated twice uh, right as we purchased the club. So in terms of a club that had kind of been at the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows, it was really a, a challenge to come in and kind of clean up a club that was frankly a failing business. You could say um, the players didn't want to be there. Coaches didn't want to be there. Fans were unhappy. It was just it was really a challenging environment. And I think for the first six to 12 months, it was difficult to kind of come in and you know, put our stamp on the way we wanted to do things, but we made a really good hire with a manager um, who had been in a super league club as an assistant. We brought him in. He's fantastic manager. We brought in uh, a new sporting director who's done a fantastic job on recruitment and we've had a lot of success. We got the club promoted and this year we're in the top four. So I think, um, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not something that is easy to achieve. And it was certainly things like COVID made it difficult for everyone. But I'm really pleased with where the club is at right now. I think you know we're not going to go up this year, but I think in terms of next year, being able to go up is something that I think is a realistic goal for us. At the same time, we're a club with one of the lowest wage bills in the entire division, so that's what's satisfying to me is we're not outspending anyone. We're not doing we're not some crazy billionaire group splashing money around making stupid decisions. Like we're having to make really smart strategic decisions, and luckily we've got most of those decisions right. But um, you know things are at a really good place with the club right now. Yeah, Did I, I see it? When when we first spoke to to Brett, he was saying that it's not everyone. When when there's a takeover at football club, everyone gets excited about the the investment and money and how much money it is. But he he used Helsingor as a as an example of of just working smart and um, getting your your infrastructure and everything. You, you mentioned their lowest wage budget in in the division, so it's um Brett's approach isn't going to be just coming in and chucking money about. It's going to be about sort of um making smart decisions and working smart. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. I don't know what their strategy is going to be in terms of spending, you know, at Ipswich, I obviously can't speak to that. Um, but I do know Brett's philosophy in general, I think is pretty similar to mine in terms of like, we're not the kind of American groups that are going to come in and just spend our way to success. That's just not why we do things. Even if it, it even if it would work, which frankly, it oftentimes doesn't work. I think people assume there's a correlation between just spending the most money and winning games. And sometimes that's true, but it's not as strong a correlation as people think. I look around the landscape in my case in Danish football and see the amount of money being spent in, on certain players and certain contracts. And I'm sure the same thing is it's the same in the UK. Uh, and I just scratched my head. I'm like, Hey, we have a better player at that same position. Who's making one tenth the amount of money that, that that player is. So why wouldn't you have that other player? So I, you know, to answer your question, I don't know what the strategy is dips with. It's, Look, the League One and the Championship, they're they're difficult divisions. There's so many. There's other American groups. There's other groups spending a lot of money. Um, and so you have to kind of get the the infrastructure and the decision-making decision, decision making right. And I have no doubt they'll do it. It's going to obviously, I'm sure, take time. Um, so, yeah. What are the first things you do when you go into a club as an owner or an investor? What are the, the first things that you're looking to do once you get feet on the ground and that kind of thing? I mean, for me, it's evaluating the infrastructure and that's just not, that's not just training ground and stadium, but it's like players, staff, coaches, front office, CEO, like, are these the right puzzle pieces in place for us to have success? And frankly, most of the time, if you're buying a club that's really struggling or has had poor prior ownership, uh, the pieces are not the correct pieces, right? I mean, so, I mean, there's reports, right, right that a new CEO is going to come in Ipswich. You know, we brought in a new CEO uh, in Helsinger. We brought in new staff. We cleared out the roster. Not to say that at a takeover every single time you have to clear things out and start from scratch. But my philosophy in general is if you want to change culture, which I think is the most important thing in a footballing organization, you, it, culture is built by people. And you need to bring in people who want to be there, who are bought into the project. I mean, we talk about players all day, every day. And, that, of course, players are under contract. If they're on a three-year contract, 
they can't leave the club. But if a player doesn't want to be there, a player isn't bought into the philosophy and the culture, like they're not going to want to play. They're not going to perform. So I think it's it's on the club to create an environment where players and both players on the field and then staff off the field and supporters as well can buy into what you're doing and, and have success. And it's not easy by any stretch, right? It doesn't happen overnight. People ask like, what's the recipe for success? It, it's it's little things. It's making sure that you know you're, you're taking care of the players, that you have good staff, that you're giving them food, that the travel's right, um, and that the environment's good. That the personalities in the locker room are good. Because at the end of the day, this is a sport. I think people forget about it. It's like it's about motivating men to perform, right? And I think you know people just assume, okay, they're high paid athletes. They should perform. They should score goals. They should do well. Well, you know, there's different personalities. There's players from different parts of the world. There's different cultural differences. Um, so I think finding the right balance on all those variables is the key is clearly the key to success. It's not easy. It takes time. It does certainly take an amount of investment, but I think if you get it right from the top down from ownership who hires good, smart people in a position of a CEO off the field, who hires good, smart people as a coach and a sporting director, then it starts to trickle down to the players and they say, wow, this is a really well-run organization. Yeah. We maybe have lost two games in a row, but no problem. We'll be fine. We'll, we'll push right through it. That's to me the most impressive thing that I've seen in Helsinger is you go into the locker room or you go to training the next day after we've lost a game or lost two or three games in a row. Everyone's still really positive. The environment's still really good because when we first bought the club, it was definitely not that way. What um, what attributes has Brett brought to Helsinger then in in his in his role? What um what are the key areas that you would say he's contributed to to your 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 success there early on? Yeah, I mean, he's been really supportive in a lot of different areas. He's brought a couple other business partners that he has that are fantastic guys to our ownership group who have been really valuable. Um, obviously, just on an operational day-to-day perspective on a board level, he's very incredibly supportive of, of what we're doing at the club. Um, I would say, again, like I said earlier, just picking his brain on on different areas on the operation side is important. You know, being completely honest, he's not obviously super involved day-to-day because he has other projects he's involved in, but um, we're, we talk pretty frequently and he's just a really... Um, valuable soundboard for what we're doing. And I think it's, it's not to say that one person is the reason we're having success or it's me or it's Brad. We've had a, a really, we have a really great board and a really good ownership group. We have a WhatsApp group we're watching all the games, you know, figuring out <laughs> what players we like, what players we don't like, if we can figure out what the announcer is saying during the game in Danish or not. <laughs> so um, I, I think Brad has brought really good positive. I mean, you guys have talked to Brad. He's a really positive guy. Um, positive. He brings so much positive energy. And so he brings that to our board and our club when he is involved in what we're doing. And, and I think that's really valuable to us. And you guys are working together on the, uh, the A-League expansion uh, with the Central Coast Mariners. Where, where are you at with that? So we've been working on that project for a couple of years now. Um, we were part of an expansion bid. Uh, they went through an expansion process kind of like MLS did where they took bids for different markets. And this was in 2018 or 19. And we partnered with a local group of the Gold Coast to put a bid in. Fortunately, bid wasn't selected. Um, but we kind of stayed in touch with the local guys. And then the, the potential opportunity for the Central Coast popped up probably about a year ago. We knew the owner was struggling financially and he wanted to sell. Um, so we've, we've stayed in touch with him. Uh, we've had conversations. Um, we're getting closer to a point where we'll be digging into due diligence and stuff. You know, there's new leadership in in Australia where the league is being run by the owners, not by the federation. So that's complicated things and slowed things down. We both really like the market. We like Australia. It's a really interesting market. So, I mean, it's it's getting there. I can't necessarily say we're close, but um, we're getting to a point where I think it's becoming more real than not. Hopefully, over the next six months. 
what's the attraction with having kind of fingers in clubs all, all around the world? What's the benefits, do you think, in terms of, obviously, Brett would have, have a club in Australia, Denmark, England, and in the United States. You're, you'd have one in Ireland in addition to some of those markets as well. What are the benefits to, to kind of having yourself in multiple clubs in multiple countries? What can you What can you gain from that? I mean, ultimately, the goal um, is to integrate these clubs. I mean, for me, I can't integrate necessarily Swansea and Dundalk to my other clubs because I'm not a majority shareholder, right? But uh, whether it's the A-League club and, you know, potentially Ipswich, Phoenix and Helsinger, right, where we have more controlling interests in the club. I think the idea is, can you use economies of scale in terms of both on and off the pitch? Can you figure, can there be a shirt sponsor that's a multinational corporation that wants to get into four different global economies? Can it be just running a business better? But honestly, what it all comes down to on, is developing players. I think if you can get a pipeline to talent, whether that's in the United States, whether it's in Australia, and those players can come through and then eventually be playing for Ipswich, I think that's that's where there's a lot of value in having these different clubs. Of course, you know we generally feel that as standalone clubs, each one of these investments on its own is really valuable and important and can, you know doesn't need a tie-in with other clubs. But again, I think that's where this is a very relationship-driven business. And certainly if you have a club, again, I'll give you guys a really good example. We have a very good young player on Helsinger who's out of contract in the summer. And he's he wants to test the markets. He, you know, it's the first time he's really going to be a free agent. And I have a feeling if we were part of a global network of clubs of bigger clubs, what we could really do is go to him and say, look, like we can just sign you to a contract to this bigger club in our portfolio. Maybe you're not, you're only 22. You're not ready to play for that club. We'll just loan you back to Helsinger. You'll play for a year. You're still in our network and we can continue to develop you in our culture because you know clearly you enjoy what you're doing. You want to stay in our organization, but you do have ambition, right? So I think it can help maintain talent. Obviously things get a little tricky with Brexit in terms of if you have a club in the UK, how does that work in terms of getting work permits? But ultimately can you have access to a pipeline of talent over many years? Uh, I think that's the allure of the kind of multi-club model. Do we need to take this guy's name, Jordan? Can we pass him on to the Ipswich recruitment team? Is he uh, is he is he going to do a job for Ipswich next season? Do you think? I don't think he's quite quite ready for that. I think it's it's another interesting example of he's twenty two. He's he's got all the talent in the world to play at the level of League One or Championship, um, but he's just not there yet. So I think he needs more time. Um, but it's it's a good example of like can you create the right development pathway for a player? Because if he jumps to a bigger club right now and he doesn't play at all and he's not ready, how, that's not going to help his development either, right? So can can we get him to buy into the fact that we think it's the right path for him to stay within our portfolio of clubs? That's the idea. Can I just take this right back to the start with you, Jordan, and your, your, your love of football in general, being an American... Um... Growing up, it's not your not your national sport. Where, how did you fall in love with it? Because clearly, Brett and the guys have, you know, love love the game as well. These aren't just business people that are, that are coming into it. So, what's the football story for you? Yeah, I know it's kind of curious. Uh, an American so deeply involved in European football and kind of passionate about it. It's interesting because I've spent some enough time on the ground in Europe now that I feel like I have a little bit of a different perspective. Like you, you talk about the European Super League and people are thinking Americans are focused on the money and, you know, so financially driven. And my first thought is like, well, why would you be in European football if you're so financially driven? I just wrote about this. So uh, to answer your question, uh, I played football, soccer growing up. I uh, not quite at a professional level, but pretty close. Strong business background. You know, I always really loved the sport, and also the fact that it like wasn't the most popular sport here in the U.S. That all people I knew, friends, were playing other sports, and soccer was kind of this cool, cool secondary sport. Um, 
And it was something I was just always really passionate about. And I was, you know, I got into American soccer, which I liked. And I still follow, but European soccer was just, again, from an entrepreneurial perspective, it's like you could come into Ipswich and come in and do things really well on and off the pitch. And Ipswich in 10 years can be in the Premier League. Like to me, that's, that's really cool. Now, of course, Ipswich can get relegated, which is unfortunate. It can happen to anyone, but that kind of, that the, the beauty of that system, and I've talked about this a lot recently with the European Superliga, is so interesting to me, that part of the sport, and that's what I genuinely really enjoy about this. Yeah, I guess both as somebody who loves sport, but also as a as an entrepreneur and a businessman, it's that that dare to dream. Anything is is possible, and that's. Um, well, I guess we're on to the Super League part of the debate now, but that takes it all away if you have the uh, the closed competition. I mean, we were talking off air before we started. You you found it a little bit embarrassing that sort of all the Americans are getting tarred with the same brush with with all of this at, at the moment that's going on. I, it's it's unfortunate that. Um... You know, I wrote about this in an article for Sports Pro yesterday, but it's like, again, if you, you, you should be able, I know fans might disagree with this, but you, you people invest in football clubs to make money. Like you don't invest in anything not to make money, but that shouldn't be your sole, invest, your, your sole motivation. There has to be more. You have to be passionate about it, right? Like I would like to hope that people hear me talk or Brett talk and, and feel that like, wow, these guys like really care. They're passionate. They're spending their time, their energy. Yeah, of course they want to make money out of this. Why, why else would we be doing it? But they're, they're passionate about it. If you hear Joel Glazer talk or you hear you know these guys talk at the top of the food chain when it comes to the European Superliga, I don't hear that passion. I just hear a lot of self-interest. I hear a lot of like very financially cold-driven discussions. And I'm like, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Go find somewhere else to put your money. I don't understand. Like there's better ways to spend your money and your time and energy than in European football if that's what your mentality is, if you're not genuinely passionate about the sport. So um that's what frustrates me. It frustrates me too when Americans in particular come into European football and kind of this arrogance of like, well, I ran a club in the NFL and it, it did really well. And so I can go buy a team in the Premier League and it'll do the same thing. It's like, no, like football, soccer, it's it's a totally different beast, especially in Europe. Like you have to understand the cultural differences and everything, promotion, relegation, player transfer market, like so different. And you know, this European Super League discussion is kind of brought to the forefront that like, if you're going to do this, especially as an American, you got to come in for the right reasons with a certain amount of humility and people involved in the projects who know what they're doing. And again, you could do all of that and you still might not have success, right? We still might not have, you know, all the success in the world we want in Denmark or, you know, who knows what'll happen at Ipswich. But if you do everything the right way, like I like to think we do, and I like to think the groups like Brett does, you're putting yourselves in the best possible situation for success. And I think people in and around the sport in Europe start to respect that. I, I wrote an article also for the local Danish paper about the Super League and tons of Danes reached out to me and said, like, we really appreciate your perspective. It's not the traditional American greedy, you know, money hungry perspective. It's a different perspective. And frankly, I think that's a perspective that I probably wouldn't have had two years ago, three years ago, before I started spending a lot of time on the ground in Europe. But a perspective you you clearly share with with Brett by the sounds of things. I think Berke has been been quite vocal about the Super League on his social media. Um, Obviously, he has a Turkish background, massive Galatasaray fan, so he knows as, as well as anyone that that how badly that kind of proposal would go down. But it, it seems like you and Brett have some really similar feelings on on these these kind of matters. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I haven't. It, things have happened so quickly. I haven't had a chance to talk to Brett about mm. what his thoughts are on the Superliga. But knowing kind of his investment philosophy and the way he looks at the sport and the world, I would have to think that he would feel similarly. I would assume, but I don't know. And you said, Jordan. Ultimately, you, there's no hiding away from it. You guys get involved to, to make money. And 
I guess to make money, you have to the culture has to be right, and you have to do things right and with passion, and and then ultimately the the uh, the return on investment follows further down the line. But is there money to be made in English football? I think people look at it. The previous owner of of Ipswich, Marcus Evans, has lost a a, a big chunk of money over a 10, 13 year period. Um, most clubs are running at a loss all of the time, but. Um, you know, Britain, the guys have, have come into to Ipswich ultimately to get a return on investment. It's locked up in, or it's, it's tied up in with, with a sort of the, the pension scheme over in, in Arizona. You, um, yourself and fellow Americans are obviously seeing opportunity in, in English football at, at the moment. Um, kind of outline at, from a business perspective what, what opportunities um, you guys are seeing when, when you come and invest in a, in a European club and an English club. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it depends on the league and the business model and the size of the club, right? And the business, you know, exactly what your approach is. Um, again, I, I can't speak, I haven't spoken directly to Brett about what the business plan is in terms of where this club needs to go. Presumably, Americans look at football in the UK and the Premier League is where it's at, right? That's where all the money is in terms of media rights. Can you get your club there and run it as a efficient, well-run club? Can you can you be Burnley, right? In terms of, it, you know, it's a profitable business that does well, that's in the Premier League every year. That's just me speculating. Um, presumably developing selling players is something that's really important. Um, I, from my brief understanding is that Ipswich has a good academy and has a good track record of developing and selling players. So I think that's something that's really attractive from a financial perspective. Um, you know, I think the thought process too, is our salary constraints from player wages is going to start to come in. You know, there are, there was during COVID, obviously some salary constraints, I don't want to call it a salary cap, but some constraints there, which make things a little bit more viable, but you're hundred percent right. This is a really difficult business. COVID has thrown everything out the window in terms of trying to make money. But, um, you know, I think the goal for a club in like an Ipswich is to get it to higher levels, which increases the value of the club. It gets it to a point where you can sell players at higher value dollars and you can capture more of the media rights. Um, like what we're doing in Denmark, for instance, it's different at a different scale, but same kind of thing, selling players, getting the club to a higher level, you know, selling the club at some point down the road. Um so it's a little bit difficult to answer the question because it depends on the club. And again, I can't speak necessarily to Ipswich, but I think there is potential. Certainly there's a lot of potential to run clubs better and more efficiently. I mean, I've looked at, I haven't looked at the financials on Ipswich, but I've looked at financials on a lot of different clubs and you just look at it and you're like, I could cut the, the salary, the, I could cut salaries. I could cut all this stuff in half tomorrow and no one would bat an eye and the club would lose a hell of a lot less money. And that's not like, that's not making difficult decisions either in terms of getting rid of good people. That's like cutting board salaries. That's reducing player wages, cutting agent fees, right? You know, reducing some travel costs, like, you know, running a business better in terms of capturing more revenue. Like there's a lot of things you can do more efficiently. Um, not to say that it's easy by any stretch, but I think there's so much bloatedness in this industry that there is opportunities to capture some potential revenue sources, run a better business, ha- you know, have the upside of potentially getting to higher divisions. And then you can say, all right, cool. Like this can actually, we can, this can potentially be lucrative to us. And in the meantime, if we don't get there, hopefully we've run a, a really good, well-run business that at least can in the ballpark be self-sufficient. Like that's our goal in Denmark is, you know, can we run a self-sufficient business while we build the infrastructure of developing players and getting promoted? No one wants to buy a club that's losing 10 million euros a year. Like that, I mean, how long is that going to last? You guys saw it with the prior owner Ipswich, right? So I can't imagine that's the model with Brett's group. But again, I, I can't speak to that. You must have sat side by side pre-COVID and watched watch games of football with Brett. What's he um what's he like during games? How how is he kind of in the stands watching either his teams or or any other games that you've been to together? 
he gets very nervous. Um, we've gone to a bunch of Phoenix games together. Um, he, he's, he, he's really passionate about it. He's just as passionate as I am. I, I'm the same way. I mean, uh, he, uh, again, not the typical owner who's kind of detached or not super into it. Like he's very into uh, and emotional about it. And I think he's really passionate about it. Again, I don't know how often he plans to go to the UK and what his situation is with travel and all that, but um, I'm sure he will be over there quite frequently when, when, um, when travel permits. The same with the other guys as well. Burke is, is clearly, clearly a passionate football fan and, and Mark as well. Are they, are they similar kind of characters at, at games? What, what can Ipswich fans expect from them when they see them in the director's box at Portman Road? Yeah, I haven't. I don't, I'm trying to think if I've been directly in boxes with either of them. I mean, Perke is definitely a really passionate guy. Um, you know, he's a big Galatasaray fan, as if you guys follow him on social media. Um, I, I don't. I can't necessarily speak to the other guys, but again, this is not a group of guys that's going to be absentee or guys that won't be there and aren't passionate about it. These are guys that are really, really fired up about this investment. I definitely can say that, and I, I think it'll be really fun for them to see it. How big's football going to get in the states, Jordan? You got the world, the World Cup coming up further down the line. Is it? Um, is there another big boom set to come? That's that's the million dollar question everyone's asking. Um, I think it'll grow. I think hosting the World Cup clearly is a huge positive for the growth of the game in this in, in this country. I think the problem that people have sometimes in American soccer is they assume when American soccer grows, it's MLS, which yes, that's a piece of it, but that it's also the Premier League, Serie A, Bundesliga, Liga MX, the Mexican league is incredibly popular. So I think the sport is going to continue to grow. The question is in what form is that going to be a little bit more European focused? Is it going to be more American focused? I think MLS for instance is an incredibly compelling live product. They've done a very good job in many markets, LAFC, Inter Miami, they're kind of replicating the European environment in many clubs, which is great. They still frankly do a really poor job in terms of capturing people's interest to watch on television, which is a pretty big problem because this whole sport is built on television and media rights. Um, but, you know, I, I think it depends what angle you look, right? From a, our national team and player development, like we're doing a great job, right? Our top young players are now all playing in the Champions League. and It's, it's fantastic, right? And I think the next cycle, presumably, if we don't screw it up like we have previously, our national team should be very good. Um, but I don't necessarily subscribe to the model that some people say here that, uh, soccer is just going to explode because the World Cup's happening and it's going to be the most popular sport. Like It's still got a ways to go in terms of interest in the greater American landscape. Um, but I think it's made massive jumps in popularity over the last five to ten years. I think I think we're probably getting getting to the end of our time together now, Jordan. But the, the only other thing I was going to ask you is when the pre-season friendly game between Helsingor and Ipswich Town is going to be arranged because quite, quite frankly... I love Denmark, and I, I fancy a little trip over. When are we? Uh, when are we going to get that one lined up? Because that um, that's got to happen, isn't it? The Brett Johnson Derby. I I mean I think that'd be fantastic. I mean probably not this summer because of the travel restrictions and uh, all that, but potentially uh, next summer. I mean the the summer in in um, in Denmark is beautiful. What's really cool about Helsinger is we're close to Copenhagen, but it's kind of in this um, area where there's a lot of summer homes and uh, in the summer, the national team, the Danish national team actually trains in Helsinger too. So there's a good infrastructure. So I think that'd be super fun. I think Ipswich came out, I was reading online that they came out to Helsinger. This was before our club was founded about 25 years ago, came out and played a local club. I have to dig into that more, but I think that would be fantastic. We've uh, I think Brentford was planning on coming out to Helsinger to train during the summer, but they nixed it because of COVID. So it's not unheard of. We played Crystal Palace in a in a preseason game two years ago, so definitely not unheard of by any stretch. Mm. 
I think you'll have to warn the locals that um, there'll be plenty of people from from Ipswich and Suffolk descending on Helsing, or if that did happen, because uh, people here like a, a pre-season tour. They like following their team overseas. So uh, next time you're over there, maybe you need to warn um, warn a few of the local businesses, a few of the watering holes locally, that they uh, maybe one day might be an invasion from Suffolk. I'm sure they would look forward to it. <laughs> right, I think we're going to... And we'll, we'll do Australia the year after the, after that when you've tied all that up, Jordan. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Best <laughs> great. of luck with all of that, Jordan. Th- thanks so much for your time. Really great to speak to you. Cool. Thanks for having me, guys.